Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me. This is episode number 81, and today we are going to continue our discussion with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's letters and papers from prison last week. Uh, I think Pastor Hill really helped us guide, really helped to guide us through these first initial, um, would you say, these respondings, these correspondence mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with his, someone with his parents and with his uh, fiance. Um, they were going through the shock of his being arrested, yeah. Right, right, right. So um, that was that was good. And then we left you off yesterday, or last week, right there, with um, his sermon from a wedding, sermon from a wedding cell, a sermon from a prison cell, a wedding sermon. So this was the, the sermon that he wrote uh, from prison using Romans chapter 15, and he wrote it for his niece, Renate, and uh, his best friend, Eberhard Bethke. So uh, we began with, uh, we kind of got into that first point. Dietrich highlights a couple of points in this sermon. Um, and we talked about the first one, which we'll probably revisit briefly today, but we're going to dive a little bit more into that one. And then we're going to get a little, um, it's going to get a little interesting. Would you say that that's fair to say with uh, some of these letters that he's writing to the Nazi the, authorities, to yeah. the Nazi authorities, and prosecutors he actually, mostly. Yeah, and he actually says Heil Hitler in one of them. So that's going to be interesting for us to look at, and I think we're excited to dive in. But before we do that, friends, it is about that time. It is time for the folly of the week. And today's folly of the week comes from MSNBC, MSNBC's Twitter page. Uh, if you are familiar at all with anything in the news, um, this has been in recent news. Elon Musk bought Twitter, and the general uh, general feeling was people are losing their minds, and we really wanted to um, <laughs> just play a clip of one of the guys from MSNBC. Uh, he's one of the journalists. Uh, one of the, the the tweet actually said that he was a, a quote unquote talent. This is uh, Ari Melber, and we're, I'm just going to play the play the clip verbatim, and then we're going to get some we're going to get some raw raw reactions from well maybe not too raw from Pastor Hill and myself, but we are going to play this for you, and I, I want to just just listen to what they're afraid of that that Elon Musk buying Twitter is threatening. American freedom and and the election and all that and how it's such a danger. So here we go with Ari Melber and his response to Elon Musk buying Twitter. Own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else and the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Philosophically clear and open-minded helper. What what is that? <laughs> what what is that? Well, it's kind of it's kind of funny because everything he says that uh, Musk is about to do is everything they've already done uh, at Twitter, and I think what they're ter- terrified of is for people to find out just how much they influenced right. the last election. Yeah. So it's let's talk about that evil guy over there. Don't look over here at me. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
it it's just it's too it's too ironic for me like he he literally literally described everything that happened whether it's the from the election to uh to covid information or misinformation to vaccine information or misinformation um ukraine russia all all of these things the the latest with all of the all the hunter biden stuff in the laptop all of that uh it's just they're they're worried that someone else is going to do to them what they've already been doing to the rest of the american people and to me it's hilarious that's that the only music that it calls for really is clownery music because that's really what that is as you're staring off into space anything else Let's go to, uh, we're going to jump ahead and go to the sermon from the wedding cell. Do you want to review briefly what we, what we went through already? Well, so first of all, it's a wedding sermon from a prison cell. I don't think we, I don't think it got there in time. Did I say prison again or wedding again? No, I just said it better. We don't know if it was used at the wedding or not. I think it was written for the couple. Probably they got to read it after their wedding. Uh, but anyway, it's a heartfelt effort to uh, help direct them in a godly um, and God-pleasing marriage. Um, some of the things he said that we touched on last week is God is guiding your marriage. And I think this, I highlighted this, put a star on it. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage sustains your love. Right, we we mentioned that yeah. uh, at the end of the episode last week. I think it's just a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful reminder that no matter how much love that you have for the other person, that it's it's not enough. You're you're not gonna this this whole fantasy fairy tale kind of idea that love is all you need, and as long as you love one another, it's just not that's not real because. I would say that all three of us have a, a wonderful amount of love for for our wives, but that love is not enough uh, because love apart from Christ, I would actually say, is not love at all. Wow. Um, so what is it then? <laughs> what holds a couple together if they're not Christian? I mean, In half the world, it's uh, more or less a financial thing, right? Yeah, well, most of, yeah, most of, um, they say that most divorces happen because of money. Right. Money troubles and uh, not to mention just general infidelity, whether that's to them or to other things. Yeah, but I would, yeah, money, it's going to sound strange. Money trumps infidelity, though, I think, in divorces. Oh, for Uh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. Um, Lack of money or too much money, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he says, I think sometimes I say there's a scriptural principle of God acts, we respond. And so if you look at that principle in terms of marriage, Dietrich's saying here that that God acted Mm -hmm. um, and you're responding. God put you together. You're responding um, to God's sovereign act of of welding you together into to one flesh, um, which is a st- absolute opposite of what we normally think. We think we got ourselves together, now God come along and bless this. Hmm. Um, but he's saying just the opposite. It's God that put you together. 
and it's God that will hold you together if you allow him to, right? Well, that's the uh, the cord of three strands, right, that mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes talks about. Um, I don't think that they, that's not specifically in that Ecclesiastes text, not specifically talking about marriage, but it certainly applies to marriage. And when you have... Uh, when you have Christ, when you have God, when you have your faith at the center, then um, certainly it's going to go better for you. How's that? Yeah. So he also says God is the guarantee or guarantor of your wedding, your marriage, your life together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ought to, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying here, you ought to because it's God's hand guiding the marriage. We should not live in the anxiety that's so characteristic of many marriages, you know. Does he really love me? Does he really respect me? Why isn't he coming home on time on Friday nights? You know, (laughs) whatever the anxieties are. Right. And then last last, uh, podcast we ran away like cowards because he got to the hard part. (laughs) Right. Run away, run away. (laughs) Well, yeah, he gets to the part that we don't really want to... uh, want to talk about, want to participate with, uh, and that's that's what Paul writes in most of his, many of his letters about women being subject to her husband, wives being subject to their husbands, uh, or subjecting to their husbands, and men, husbands loving their wives, and usually people run because they don't like the word subject or submit to their husbands and a lot of that's just because it's we have not done a good job explaining what that means and why that's important which is why we're here well yeah it's it's not so much the words as they see the reality all around them of, of uh well, let's just say untrustworthy husbands sure so i found an article i don't know if you can still find that about uh, ultra-orthodox viewpoint Jewish viewpoint of a wife's role in marriage to, mm-hmm. and just to establish a far limit. I am not advocating this at all, but when you get through hearing what this is, you're going to say, oh, just subject myself to my husband. Oh, <laughs> right, right. that's easy. But uh, You want me to read it to you? Yeah. It, so uh, it says it says in the, the opening, well, one of the opening lines, uh, so this is an article, this is an article from The Atlantic by... I don't know how to say this person's name. Uh, Avital Chizik Goldschmidt. So, Goldschmidt, right? Yeah. So, um, talking about a book, and but then essentially, this is what this article is featured in one story to read today, a newsletter which our editors recommend a single must read from the Atlantic Monday through Friday. Sign up for it here, yada, yada, yada. So, it says in the controversial 2001 bestseller, the American author Laura Doyle argues that the key to a happy marriage is a wife relinquishing control and allowing her husband to handle all decision making, including household finances, the lifestyle that is rooted in conservative biblical principles. When you surrender to your husband, you accept that a supreme being is looking after you both, reads one passage. The more you admire your husband's magnificence and how everything about him is just as it should be, the more you will fear God's, feel God's presence. Though these tenets are rooted in less 
rooted less in Jewish textual textual traditions than the New Testament and in fundamentalist Christian notions of wifely submission that have seeped into Orthodox community over the past few decades. Yeah, so it sounds to me there it's an advocate advocating not um, being subject to your husband actually, but dying to self for your husband. How's mm-hmm. that? To totally submerge yourself, your being, your thoughts, everything. And uh, I almost laughed when you said to a, what was that, being? Supreme being. I thought you was going to say husband. <laughs> <laughs> but they did say God. But, yeah, so I... Well, that's, I think that's what, I think that's what that means. If it go, yeah, da, 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 where is it? It says, when you surrender to your husband, you accept that a supreme being is looking after you both. both. I... I read that as the husband is the supreme being. Do you? If I misread that, I read that as God. Okay, God you is read looking. That as God? Okay, looking over. You're trusting God to properly manage your husband. How about that? Okay, but yeah. So that's that's considerably different than submitting to your husband because um, it's actually like you're. It's almost like baptism. You're drowning yourself daily so that you can mm-hmm. be the wife um, uh, that you ought to be. When, so then when you talk about First Corinthians and Paul and submitting uh, to your husband, doesn't quite sound so severe when you, when you right. see that. It's, it's almost like, gosh, I don't want to say it, but it's almost like the wife is a slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, to a very beneficial master. So well, and I think I think that's why I think that's probably more so why we don't uh, we don't talk like that. We don't. I mean, we. I know when we had when I had uh, our premarital counseling before Brandy and I got married. This was explained to us like what? Okay, so when Paul says wives submit to your husbands, it's not wives you are enslaved by your husbands it's actually you are submitting to your husband because he is the head of the house just as christ is the head of the church and as the head of the house it's it's almost goes it almost goes back to what we were talking about with um discipleship and the the cost the cost of following jesus and giving your uh, dying to self right it doesn't seem like for, forsaking all others because of the love that you have for God and the love that he has given to you. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice to, to rid yourself of the things of the world because of what you are thus receiving in faith and in those gifts. So if a man and a wife or a man and a woman uh, are really in love with one another and they are committed to building a relationship on Christ and the forgiveness that he has when a, when it says that a woman is to submit to her husband she's submitting to him and it doesn't really feel like this quote unquote submission because of he cuz because he is committing to love her as God loves the church am i making that making sense? Yeah. So let's back it up to the so it's a, orthodox thing for a okay. second. So you're describing you just described a, a situation where the woman has a voice, right? All right, and she can say her opinion, express her opinion, mm-hmm. 
but in you know, uh, I would I would trying to restrain myself. So, in matters that are important, she is to be subject to her husband, but she can't. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean she doesn't get to say her piece. Her piece, right? And who knows? She may actually convince her yeah. husband. So, but in the other the other example, the earlier radical one, it's like, doesn't sound like the woman has a voice. Right. It's um, So that's quite quite different. So he says, God established a rule of life by which you, and we talked about this, I guess, yesterday, can, doesn't say must, but can live together in wedlock. To me, that sounds like he's making it possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this rule will allow you to do this. More, right. more than just a command. It's, a, it's something that's going to be beneficial. Yep. And then he goes on. He says, "You may order your home as you like, except in one thing: the wife is to be subject to her husband, and the husband is to love his wife. So everything else is negotiable except this, right?" Hmm. And then he says, "In this way, God um, gives to the husband and wife the honor, honor that is due to each other." So here gets here's where the arguments are going to come flying. Hmm. And remember when you when you say misogynist, it's spelled T Y L E R. Get him, don't get me. It says page forty four. A wife who wants to dominate her husband dishonors herself and him. I might add, and her lord, but mm-hmm. he doesn't say that. Just as a husband who does not love his wife as he should dishonors himself and her, and again, I would add, his Lord. Right. And so what we like to do as Americans, when you have this discussion, um, we, even in marriage counseling, we want this to be conditional. Yeah. If he loves me like the Bible says he loves me, then I will be subject to him. What's wrong with that? Well, I don't. I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong. Well, okay. It's it's not so much the it if he loves me. It's cuz he's not going the reality is that your husband is not going to love you the way that Christ loves the church. He he's just not. I don't I don't love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. I don't love my wife with perfect love. And if you are listening to this and you are thinking, "Well, I do." Uh, repent now because you're, you're 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 fooling yourself because if we, your wife is ever out on girls' night out and you got to listen in you'd find out you're not so hot right, <laughs> right exactly <laughs> exactly but it's marriage the love that we have in marriage is not a conditional love it's it's just like the the love that God has for us it's not a conditional love it's unconditional and so it's to to put conditions in a marriage, I think, is incredibly unhealthy. Oh, if if he so, th- there's a sense where you say, "Yes, I want him to love me," and if he does love me the way that Christ loves, it's certainly going to be easier to do that. But well, yeah. I don't think that if he doesn't love you, it gives you the reason to love you in that perfect way. It doesn't give you the, an excuse to not do that. Does so that make sense? It's kind of like a if-then contract, right? right. If he upholds his part, then I will fulfill my part. If she fulfills her part, then I will do my due duty 
Mm -hmm. And so that's not exactly what God commands. Okay, so here comes the kind of questions you're going to get. What about when you have an abusive <laughs> husband? Well, what about if you have an abusive husband? He's gasping that's, for breath right yeah. now. What am I supposed to say? That's that gets tough <laughs> at this point. So okay, that, that does not mean if you have an abusive husband, you should be subject to him in the sense that, okay, dear, um, meet me. That's not what it means, right? So I want to make sure that or we verbally get, abusive might what, be more difficult to handle. Yeah, I was going to say define abusive. So de- abusive in the sense of he. You're stupid. I should never have married you. You don't know how to drive. Okay, so he, so he, so a, a, a man who consistently and does that in public too. And okay, so publicly, verbally assaults you, essentially denigrates um, you, denigrates yeah. you, right? Um, so if you have a husband that does that, you're saying, or you're, are you making? I don't think you're making this argument, but you're saying that that certainly brings into question a wife submitting to this husband, and certainly as as an American Christian where that gets talked about um i don't that is it's just like if so to me it goes like this if you're if your husband or wife cheats on you is in, is unfaithful that doesn't give you the right to go and be unfaithful right so it's one of those things where if if you recognize that your your husband or your wife because it goes both ways if your husband or your wife is being this kind of verbal abuse it, it ver- verbally abusive, I think that it's one of those things where you have to try to seek proper proper help, proper counseling, uh, whether that's from uh, a counselor, some of his friends, however you want to do this. But I do think that if you have, if, if a woman is in a relationship where the man is, it, we see this all the time here, a family of God, where the man is physically abusive, she he is all of a sudden, in my opinion, he has relinquished though the right, not the right, but you know what I'm saying. He's he's given up the. He he cannot demand that his wife submit to him because he's being, he's being an ass. Okay, so let's half a step back. So, wife subject to her husband that does not mean cannot mean. Uh, that she partic- participates in sinful behavior because he asks for it and demands it. Okay, so but we're, we're, I'm, I'm hovering carefully, but mm-hmm. is there behavior by either spouse that becomes a deal breaker? I don't have to keep this uh, verse of the Bible because he or she um, has invalidated it by his or her um, sinful choices i kind of think the answer is no right but you also want you also want to be protection mode right right and then potentially look at because there there are there are biblical reasons for separation and it's if you're in an if you're in an abusive relationship like that and he is he or she by all means is unfaithful and is being abusive like that um you do have if you have sought out like if you have sought help and he's not he or she is not willing to seek that 
I, as a pastor, I have a hard time telling a woman to be subject to her husband who is constantly belittling her. And that's just, that's tough for me. That's really tough for me. I'm not going to, if a woman is, is afraid and a woman is in a relationship, like I, it's just, I have a really hard time telling her. I, I hear loud and clear what you're saying. I just have a really hard time telling a woman who comes to me or comes to, you know, one of my wife's friend comes to us and says to us, my husband is always saying this, saying that, saying this, saying that, doing this, doing that, and I'm considering leaving him. I have a, I have a really hard time if that if you, if that's a constant pattern and you can you've tried to seek help. That would be my first initial reaction is to talk to him. But I I just if a woman is in a relationship like that, I I can't advocate for that. Must be something else we can talk about. Why this is good? This is a good conversation. <laughs> yeah. So it goes on to say just the husband if the husband regards the wife merely as the plaything of his own lust for power and license. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a sign of social disintegration when the wife's service is felt to be degrading or beneath her dignity, dignity. And when the husband who is faithful to his wife is looked on as weakling or even a fool. So I should have started that with a context. So the context is that's normative, he's saying. It's not godly, but normative that um, sinful men and sinful women in marriage pervert marriage, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And sometimes it's the guy doing power plays on his wife, and, uh, and especially in our culture, as he's saying here, a husband who, is, who remains faithful to his wife is looked on as a weakling or even a fool. So... I don't know. So there's unhealthy states of marriage, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have a we have a couple here at Family of God. Yeah, just thinking about who you scream were, at each other. Yeah. Well, there's that. They scream at each other, right? <laughs> and and they are the they are the furthest thing from a healthy relationship. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't actually thinking of them. I was thinking of. The uh, I was thinking of the couple where the husband um, makes the the wife sit down and watch pornography with him. That's that's and, what I was and buy his drugs and, and, buy, and right. That's yes. that's kind of what I was where I was going at. And because both of us have have expressed to her um, kind of how we feel about that and and different Not required things. to submit in that situation, either of those situations. Right, and part and part of that, most of that is, is because he's trying to entice her in these sinful behaviors. And that's why, that's why when I, when I, I say that the, the total complete submission or subject, so to speak, I, that's, there, there's a sense where it's unconditional, but there's also a sense where it is conditional. If it's just like it just goes it goes hand in hand with to me with government, you know, if the government's asking you to do something that is not commanded or com or strictly forbidden in God's word, and you do have a you do have a right to say no, and in a marriage, if you have a husband or a wife who is enticing you and trying to get you to do things in a manip manipulative way, and 
that ends in sin and destruction, not only for the two of you, but in your family and those around you. I, I do think that there's a sense, okay, he's not loving me the way that, that he's supposed to. And he's, in fact, he's leading me into sin. He's leading me into temptation. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to submit to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just, it's almost like God is not part of that kind of marriage. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with that too. So, because I, I, at the end of the day, if if Christ is a part of your marriage, a husband is not gonna typically is not going to treat his wife like that, and a wife is going to be willing to give herself to her husband in that sense. But the key there is the key there is Jesus. The key there is is Christ. Mm-hmm. And the, the the biblical foundations and principles that go with that. And I would add on to that in, in a Christian marriage, you know, like you said, you would want to love your wife and then your wife would in turn do that. And of course we're gonna fail at this, but also if you are in a Christian marriage, when you do fail, you do acknowledge that and you do ask each other for forgiveness. So your marriage right. isn't your marriage is in the cycle of repentance. Oh right. yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And anyone that's anyone that's in a marriage, I think, knows that. Um I always say that the the foundational principle... Well, yeah, I'm constantly repenting. I just don't <laughs> see it from the other side. <laughs> but okay, keep going. I was going to say that what I what I tell uh, couples that I've had the opportunity to, to talk to and engage with, the world is going to tell you that love is the foundation for your marriage. I actually say that forgiveness is the foundation of your marriage. Just you have to be quick, very quick to forgive both, both sides. Be very quick to forgive in a marriage if you have any any hope of making making this work so that's a, so all that to say is when paul tells a when paul is telling wives to submit to their husbands it is with the understanding and the expectation that the husband is going to love the wife just as christ has loved the church so it goes perfectly, but yes. right, right. There are two. It's there's two jobs, and like you said on the end of last week's episode, there's two jobs here, and you can make the argument actually that the husband has the harder job, right? Mm-hmm. Because if the husband is loving the way that he's supposed to, uh, submitting is not going to be an issue. So he doesn't actually talk about this specifically, but. Um Yes, Christ is the glue that holds the marriage together, but you can also say, at least in a more earthly um, framework, trust is the glue that holds the couple together. And so when trust is destroyed, what happens? How do you restore it? Well, I'm just asking, uh, how bad is the trust broken? (laughs) Like, uh, to what extreme? Um, Because I feel like... uh, if you end up cheating on your spouse, that trust is um, very hard to <laughs> restore. But Long before that, there's a train of right. events where trust is, even if she doesn't know it, trust has been compromised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he's lied to her. He's mm-hmm. probably diverted family mm-hmm. funds. He's, or she, to be fair, it's 2022. Trust is hard to once it's broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I heard one time uh, I was at this was at a youth a youth uh, service or whatever you want to talk. About. We were talking about trust and we were talking about how 
you know, it's kind of like a water balloon and it can take a while to fill that water balloon, but then all it takes is one pop to make it all go away and then you've got to refill it again and it takes a lot longer to refill it than that's that's obviously a kind of a weak example but you get the idea right it doesn't take much or you poke one hole in it and then you poke another hole then you poke another hole if you're in like a like a like a plastic bottle Mm -hmm. that's full of that's full of water like this and you have a sieve but it's no longer a bottle it's a sieve right and there and the water is just leaking through it and you're trying to pour into it but that trust is has been broken. The hole has been punctured, and the only way to to really solidify those holes and patch those holes is with grace and forgiveness. Real forgiveness. Real yeah. forgiveness. Yeah, right. Not, okay. Not, not that to, kind of forgiveness. Not the. Uh, not. Not. Uh, oh, t- uh, Tyler, tell your sister that you're sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. Or else. Right. Or else. Yeah. Right. Not. Not this. Well, we have to. We have to make sure that we have we're in a good mood when you go to grandma and grandpa's for for dinner. So, uh, or mom and dad's for dinner. So let's let's slap on the I'm sorry's and then we'll come back to it. That's okay. So maybe this is where I tell the story of my wife's interview at the seminary. I forgot what they call that. Where you and your wife get interviewed before they they let you go out and actually be ordained and all that stuff. And was that like your exit interview? Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of like they made it very clear. She must not be late. My wife will be late to her funeral. Right? <laughs> so, and she was up here and I was at Fort Wayne. So how long does it take to get there? Three hours? Three, you and me, three and a half hours, 90 minutes for him. But uh, <laughs> so I thought it through and I said, Okay, it's at 3 o'clock. I'm going to tell her it's at 1. And I said to myself, then, yeah, she'll bake it by 3. And um, so 1 o'clock I was in the library because I knew she wasn't going to be there, right? So she showed up maybe 90 minutes late, and she's in the office talking to the secretary and saying to the secretary, um, First, she's apologizing for being 90 minutes late to her appointment. I'm still in the library. This my mistake was not keeping better vision on what was happening. <laughs> and the secretary said, well, your appointment was at 3 o'clock. My husband said it was 1. And he never lies to me, <laughs> except when I have to. But she didn't say that. <laughs> For that and and her seventieth birthday. Yeah, and so here I come. Well, that's you have to for a surprise yes. party, but yeah. So here I come, and boy, did I ever get it! But uh, yeah, mostly I got it because she knew I had to lie to her to get her there on time. I just mismanaged it. Right? Has she has she since forgiven you for that? She hasn't brought it up. Okay, well. Good thing she doesn't listen to this podcast. Well, maybe I haven't gotten to the point where she really needs to pull out the thermonuclear <laughs> missile. <laughs> My husband would never lie to me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we. I think we. I think we all do that to a point. Like we do. My mom and dad do that with uh, with our with our cousins whenever we have uh, family gatherings. We, they're they're notoriously late. 
and we always tell them if the party actually starts at two or dinner starts at two, we tell them it starts at one thirty, and they still show up by two fifteen. Yep. It's just one of yeah, that's just. So she she understood why you did it. The only defense I have is they threatened me about what would happen if she was late. Right. And so I took um, emergency uh, precautions to make sure one, she wasn't late. Probably one of those things where it's easier to ask for forgiveness than. Did you I, ask for forgiveness? I, no, um, should have. <laughs> I actually thought I would get away with this, that okay. I would meet her in the office and we'd go right on in and I'll, Oh, I'm late. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I, I move things around for you. <laughs> yep. Oh, that would have been a series of lies, wouldn't it? Oh, oh my goodness. The appo- yeah. yeah. So, so there's a quote from um, the Psalms here, why I brought that up. The heart of her husband, this is the, the uh, chapter 31 of Proverbs about the godly wife. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. So... And then she does him good, not harm all the days of her life. All the things she does to uh, prosper the family. But it started with the heart of her husband trusts in her. Right. So it, it's a relationship where he can let her. He, she's not submitted as so much as he, he within certain borders or parameters, he, he just lets go. Because he trusts in her to do do what's right, and then when that trust is destroyed, I'm, you're right. It's I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's you know, yeah difficult to to restore that. I think everyone knows, if if not knows directly, they know of couples that have had you know instances in their marriages where trust had been broken, and trust was restored, but it certainly takes it certainly takes a while. So 46, he, he, he's talking about uh, something we've already touched on, but he says, In a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins, for without it no human fellowship, least of all a marriage, can survive. Mm-hmm. Then he has some practical, it's almost like James now. Here comes the practical <laughs> advice, Epistle of James. James is full of practical, I told you this at the high theological, now here comes the rubber meets, meets the road, doom, 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 kind of stuff. That's what James does. Do not insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or condemn each other. Don't find fault with each other. Accept each other as you are. Forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. To me, that sounds a lot like uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. Well, 1 Corinthians, T-O-O, 1 Corinthians as well. you know, where love is patient, love is kind, does not insist on its own way. Yeah. You had said that um, many women mar- marry men because they think that they can fix him. Yeah. And they <laughs> they find out that he's unfixable. I know I'm unfixable. Nick, you're unfixable. Sorry. Well. Pastor Hill, you're unfixable. <laughs> If you marry a guy that sits in the basement and plays video games for the meaning of his life, I don't know how you ever met a girl, but and you think you're going to turn this guy into a family provider and a tycoon of industry, and yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it can happen, but it's unlikely that it's going to happen. And so there's a certain amount of, it says accept each other as you are. If you're going in, 
to the marriage, not accepting each other as you are, but you're already thinking about how this person is going to be different because I'm going to make them different. Right. It's going to be painful for you, I guess that's what I'm going to say. So, um, other than insist on your rights, what kind of American does not insist on his or her rights? (laughs) Uh, Should we go back to the folly of the week? Yeah. We have rights to know these things, and you're going to take them away from us. No, I think that's a. I think that's a. That's a generic. Everybody wants to insist. Like I have. I have a right to blank. I have a right to do. I have a right to say. I have a right to feel. And what Dietrich is writing here is. Countercultural, yeah, really. So, if for a second, let's just say, ooh, ice cream. Here he comes again. It's good to know that summer's coming. That's right. Um, If these are two Christians together in marriage, it's a basic form of fellowship, right? Mm -hmm. And in any basic Christian fellowship, from I think biblically, but also particularly from uh, Bonhoeffer, it's um, you don't insist on the rights. You are about the other. You are not about yourself. Yeah. And um, I, think that, I think that principle applies, except it's more difficult in mm. marriage. Um, why is it more difficult? We see a lot of each other, right, the mm. three of us? Five, six days a week, hours and hours and hours. Yeah, we don't live together. Yeah. What's different when you live together, and I'm not talking about procreation or stuff. When you live together. um, Thank goodness. She knows what your dirty laundry looks like, smells like. So. As if he doesn't know what that's like. Married man. Well, I don't know, because they. They have not been married that long, and they're probably still kind of shielding themselves from each other. Yeah, maybe a little bit. A little bit, I think, yeah. I don't want you to... That's that's normal. Okay. Well, especially since you guys didn't live together beforehand. A lot of couples nowadays, obviously, are are living together before they get married, so there's no surprises when they get married. For us, there was was quite a few surprises (laughs) when we got married. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't like, I'm just be kind here. I don't know what he's like, Nick, before he's had his first cup of coffee in the yeah. morning. And I don't particularly want to know. Me neither. But poor Pauline probably has to know. Mm-hmm. And she may actually say, here, drink this. I don't want to talk to you until after you. <laughs> yeah, finish, finish this and then we'll talk. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The, so, there's... Well, even in the Christian fellowship, there's a certain level of camouflage. Mm-hmm. That's not, it's very difficult to maintain that in, in, in a marital fellowship, I guess, or yeah. um, at least in our culture. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how we ever got here. Well, uh, it's turned into a fun, uh, a very serious and kind of lighthearted at times conversation about marriage. Then he ends with, uh, listen to Nick, watch Nick. I wish everybody could watch Nick. It says, 
your home will be a pastor's home. Oh, it's got new rules and regulations for pastor's uh, home. Yeah, that's right. What does it say? It says, your home will be a pastor's home. From it, light and strength will have to go out into many other homes. The pastor undertakes a life of special discipline. A husband must bear alone much that belongs to his ministry, since the ministry in his is his and must, for the sake of God, be a silent one. So his love for his wife must be all the greater, and he must be all the more concerned to share with her what he may. And as a result, the wife will be able to lighten the husband's burden all the more, stand by his side, give him help. As fallible human beings, how can they live and work in Christ's community if they do not persevere in constant prayer and forgiveness? If they do not help each other to live as Christians. So that's where this this kind of a... There's stuff... First, there's first of all stuff I don't want to go home and say. It's not because there's a reason why I shouldn't, but because why inflict? It's already I already bear the burden. Why would I want to inflict it on someone else? Right. Right. But then there are things that you cannot share. Right. Pastoral seal or confessional Mm -hmm. seal. Right. right? Um, And that's always that's always tough, especially when it's something that. Uh, that is really weighing on you and your wife can tell that it's weighing on you and you want to be able to tell her and you can't because you've made a promise to the person who made that confession to you that you wouldn't share it. Um, that's typically, that's typically why, uh, if someone confesses something to me, um, I ask them, you know, if I, you know, is, is I, I will ask them if it's okay if I share that with my wife so then I can have permission to share it if I really want to. Um, but every now and again, you'll get, no, I'd rather you didn't share that with anybody. And that's, that's where it gets tough. Right. Because that's partly, but one of the gifts of marriage is that you have someone with you to shoulder these burdens and it's really tough to shoulder them by yourself. So I thought maybe maybe we wish you could end with what's coming up here because yeah. I I think there's a there's a whole lot to a little phrase where I stopped him um, that I can, I don't think we actually think like this and it's a pity that we don't if they do not persevere in constant prayer and forgiveness and if they do not help each other to live as Christians help each other to live that's the whole life together thing does that apply yeah. to marriage. It sure does. Oh God! <laughs> you, you are. <laughs> that is the person you talk about. Bonhoeffer's guys living together in the seminary. You are living in a house, and I mentioned this in the last on the last episode. You are living butt to butt with with another sinner. Yes. Sorry, I, that's not your your face. <laughs> that's not what I meant. You are you are living in very close quarters with another sinner, and so we must. learn to do life together because that's the person that you are quite literally doing life together with and probably outside of maybe the three of us that's the person that you're spending all your time with and so yeah you have to learn to be Christian what is that I don't think we actually hit on what I'm trying to to say help each other live as Christians what does that mean I would say it's holding, 
holding one another accountable for things. If you screw up, if you say something you shouldn't, if you do something you shouldn't, it's a your spouse is has a responsibility of hey, maybe you shouldn't have said it that way. Responsibility. Right. Yeah. Mutual responsibility. Maybe you shouldn't have said this this way. Hey, uh, did you think about what the things that you said or did may have impacted Zach or Critter or Nick or whoever it is? Did you think about those things? Uh, I hope you don't say it like that if you ever get to say it like that. You're going to have to be more um, committed, more oblique ankle with well, women. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't come down and here I am. You put gentle words in front of it, but you're hammering them with the law. You got to find a way to. Yes, absolutely. Speak. Make the law come to their own minds yeah. without you actually being the one yes. <laughs> hammering well, in the nail. Yeah, you have to. You have to speak in the language that is yeah. that that's receiving to them, right? That's well received by them. Yeah. The, your other spot. The and other then spot you also. have to also the other part of that. Then you have to also accept it when it's oh, yeah. coming the other way. And that's usually tougher. <laughs> I'm the pastor. Why are you trying to disciple me? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's tough when my wife holds me accountable for not. Um, hey, we didn't we didn't study this week. We didn't pray together this week. We didn't say we didn't say grace before dinner. And I go, oh, you're right. Right. Those those kinds of those kinds of things are there too. And yeah, the intentions. I'm a I'm a pastor. What are you <sighs> doing? Or more mundane things you left the seat up again well yeah. <laughs> right yeah well that's that's not that's not christian the <laughs> sink not out after thing. you brush your teeth or after you shave could you like empty your pockets before you throw your clothes in the laundry yeah that's uh, not those aren't faith related things those are just things, <laughs> things that but it's it's receiving yes um correction yes so that it will go well with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll save the Nazi. Yeah, we'll save we'll save the Nazis for uh, next week. That was good, though. I think that it's... Oh, you're going to get feedback. I'm sure we will, and that's okay. Who will get feedback? <laughs> I think feedback is good. I think I'm, I would be very interested to hear what people have to say with regard to marriage. Especially the conversation that we had, because we we did kind of go dark a little bit, where we talking about you know men and women in abusive relationships, and how does how does the marital commitment, how does that how is that affected when you're in a relationship like that? And ultimately, you know, we were able to I think have some fun with with the marriage discussion too, and that's always an ongoing discussion. Marriage is something that is that is always changing, always growing. Uh, not just not just by our country's standards and the worldly standards, but actually just as as you grow. I mean, Pastor Hill, you can probably attest to this. You and Susan have been married for fifty. Don't do that to me. <laughs> fifty is fifty two or fifty three. Whatever nineteen sixty seven is to today, 55. so this will be fifty fifty five years. So, and your marriage is not the same as it was after you know, two, three, four years of marriage, right? It, it changes, it grows. Different experiences mold and change that. And, you know, my marriage after three years, three and a half years is not the same as it was when I was like Nick and newly married. It, it changes because we are people and we change and we adapt and our love for one another changes as well. And those are good things. And when you recognize that and you grow with it and 
always understanding and recognizing, you know, the the grace and the forgiveness of Christ in that. The big that's, change that neither of you have experienced this yet. Sometime, some little tyke's going to come along in your family, and you're going to both realize, not you, you and your wife, he and his wife, if we don't band together together against this little monster, <laughs> he will destroy you or she will destroy us. That's the new phase, right? Yeah, it's going to be—so <laughs> does it become— us first, us first, the children. Okay, well, I don't want to say it's a first. Well, I guess it is because there's their sinful nature. So yes, first is the children, uh, <laughs> um, but also working together to raise. You're trying to be proactive people. and not reactive to their behavior. You're trying to teach them not to, uh, rather than reprimanding because they did right. that kind of thing. But yeah. yeah. So, awesome. Well, good discussions. Again, we welcome all of, all of your feedback. Uh, you can find us on our website, www.fogdetroit.com. we got a big weekend uh, coming up for us. We've got a group of uh, students coming from the Fort Wayne Seminary, and they'll be with us on Saturday, and we're hoping that that goes well. And I'm sure we'll have some commentary on that next week. And uh, Just excited for what's coming this summer. And Again, Bring us your feedback, uh, leave us a review, comments, all that good stuff. Helps other people find that, find the podcast. And um, looking forward to hearing from all of you. Thank you for the ongoing support. And we will talk with you next time. We'll get a little political next week. That'll be fun. And oh, Pastor Hill's raising his eyebrows. Maybe we won't get too political next week. <laughs> we'll see. So uh, go with God's grace this weekend. And as always, if no one has told you yet, God loves you, and so do we. We will talk with you all next time. Take care. We had a conversation last night or the night before, and she said, uh, how did she word it? She said, every time that I come in here in the morning to kiss you goodbye, to leave, it smells like a locker room in here. And I said, well, it's probably because, you know, we've been, both of us have, we've been sweating in the, under the covers. It's, there's Okay, we're probably, cutting this part out. Probably, <laughs> probably uh, gases have been coming from my body. Um, there's just that overall, like, you know, just kind of that overall stank in the morning. Uh, you know, your breath gets really gross and and disgusting overnight you're laughing but you know that it's true you know that it's true yeah but i'm i'm still lost in the sweating under the sheets part okay. our room is warm sometimes <sighs> that, okay not like that you said we weren't talking about procreation i said that i wasn't talking about it. <laughs> i'm not either okay sure sounded like it to me oh my goodness even and in nick's blushing over here if you could see him